Welcome to another episode of Behind the Billboard, the series that tells the stories behind the greatest billboards of all time. And today our guest is Tim Riley. Tim Riley, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to Tim. Yeah, Tim is um, a legend of the written word. Um, he's the Abbott Mead head of copy. Uh, he's a bit of a legend in his own lunchtime. We've got to ask him about the head of copy title. Yeah, also ask him why um, why Man United are a better team than Spurs. Oh, so. Do we have to go there? <laughs> Um, um, well, he'll be here soon. So uh, no, it's going to be great. I think we'll touch on obviously the Economist, yeah, which um, is just massive. I mean, that's going to be hopefully an episode on its on its own right. Uh, I want to ask him about the John Smith stuff as well. Yeah, well, I think that's probably the one with the best story behind. I have a I have an inkling. Yeah, it's kind of special build half and half billboard stuff. It's really good. Yeah, but he's just a, he's just going to be a great person to chat to. He's he's worked at some amazing agencies and uh, he's incredibly humble and um, yeah. I'm looking forward to, to talking to him. Cool. Tim Riley, writer, creative director, creative partner, and head of copy at Abbott Mead Vickers, and most importantly, master of the witty Instagram post. Uh, a man of many hats and many incredible pieces of work. Welcome to Behind the Billboard. Thank you for inviting me. So of these titles uh, apart from the instagram uh, joke which is there one that you enjoy the most um i imagine they're all very important but is there one you feel most at home with do you prefer being a writer a creative director head of copy or are they all wonderfully rewarding neither really <laughs> <laughs> i mean writer because they're still the thing i enjoy most is still coming up with stuff but, yeah uh whether it's writing or just a stupid idea, yeah, uh, who knows? But towards that end of the sentence, yeah, I, I mean, head of copy. Oh, sorry, because I, I hadn't realised you've been the head of copy. For I, so I long. had a bit of a chuckle about the head of copy because I wondered if it was just kind of photocopying the bits of paper for all of the different people. People have it? asked me to do that <laughs> in the past. I think it's probably one of those titles they give you when there's no money for a pay rise. <laughs> You know, how about how about this? Yeah. You can put this on your um, emails. You print it. But yeah. does it mean, um, I mean, for me, I imagine it might be like being a manager of Brazil or something. Do you have, it must, you have incredible. <laughs> Which manager? Yeah, so, yeah. Well, Phil Scolari. Yeah, probably Scolari, not yeah. Phil. I was going to say Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool, but that wouldn't be good because no. we're proper United fans. I'm surrounded by United fans. Sorry, Dan awesome. Spurs, but we can, we can okay. move away from that. But I think uh, it must be nice having that much talent at your fingertips. You know, people coming in to show you work, you know, and just getting overall oversight of what's going through. Yeah, that's good. And you also get the odd um, account man asking you, should I use a semicolon or a colon? <laughs> uh, and I've got no idea. Hmm. But do you have a... I'm always interested in heads of copy or very senior figures who... Do you have a background in English? Uh, no, not I went at all. To art college? Did you? Yep. Oh, that's nice. Which one? Well, it's probably not one of the famous ones. Uh, Maidstone Art College, which right. I don't think exists anymore. Right. Uh, but I think Tracy Emin went there. Not when I was there. Right. And uh, yeah. Oh, the guy who the guy who illustrates or well does Where's Wally is oh. the most famous um, alumni. Obviously more famous than Tracy Emin. Well, it's between Tracy and Martin, I think. I think you make a close third. Right? He's no good with words, though, is he? Because he's just 
loads and loads of I think he found two words that worked really well <laughs> and, you know... Hey, you know what? That could make a good billboard, right? Yeah, There's why a... change a formula? Yeah. When you're, when you're looking at all the, the copy uh, that's going through, do you... Where do billboards fit into it at the moment? Like right now, is there a lot of out-of-home briefs? Is there less? Is it, you know, is it just the same as it was? I think there are fewer. And the, la- the last occasion I can recall, I think it was a question of, is there any way that we can shorten these headlines into less than 10 words? Right. Because, as you know, and as I'm sure you've discussed on previous episodes, there is a particular not a skill but you, you re- it requires some discipline of yeah. a poster whether it's visual or it uses words or both but to try and distill a thought into eight words is quite challenging yeah sometimes. we um when we chat to paul belford yeah. the other week we talked about something that was circulating on social media which was called 31 headlines which was 31 headlines of economist posters mm-hmm. and paul was saying well those could all work brilliantly now as banners. Yeah. You know, and it's the same discipline, I suppose. Yeah. You know, you've got a similar sort of format. Yeah. But they they tend to be very, still get cluttered. Whereas actually, if you have just a big stonking line, you know, it's uh, it's much more memorable. Uh, there's a real craft to writing a billboard ad, though, a successful billboard ad. Um, I mean, there are loads of, of outdoor ads out there that are just quite poorly crafted wordsmith-wise. Um, have you seen any great ads recently, not necessarily from within the agency, but out there, that you think, well, that's a good billboard ad? There's a classic billboard ad right there. Um, I think a couple. The uh, Spotify campaign that came out recently, um, I felt kind of foolish, actually, because having worked in advertising for as many years as I have, I should know these kind of tricks. But I saw one that said, 1979, London Calling. 2019 conference calling. I thought, oh, that's quite neat. But I thought, come on, you know, how old would you have to be to for that to be relevant? You'd have to be my age. Hmm. Oh, maybe that ad's aimed at me. Right. So it worked a bit slowly. Yeah. I got there in the end. But um, <laughs> yeah, they, they had a while. whole series of them as well. That Spotify campaign is great. Yeah, the really UB41. That's good. Yeah, I I was um, explaining them to my wife yesterday. He's <laughs> a similar age at the UB41 and the red red wine yeah. and. Um, yeah, they're just... I spotted on... Actually, weirdly, I did spot them on LinkedIn first. Um, but a lot of respect was going around about proper craftsmanship of writing. I mean, it's a, it's a smart idea anyway. But then there's something about the way it's, that they're just... You can tell the lines have been really, really worked out. And I think outdoor, they work brilliantly on buses. I mean, that's what I've seen mostly after LinkedIn. Yeah, And um, I think it was Sean um, Thompson who's mm-hmm. written most of them, who... What, where, why? Is that what they're called? Yeah. Thanks. Hopefully it is. Um, but no, I, I'm, I'm pleased you mentioned that one. That's one uh, I really like this year. I mean, who knows how well they will do? I mean, whether that matters or not, whether how awarded something is, is validation or not. But, you know, I think there's a tendency perhaps to these days to think, well, unless it's digital or there's something strange that happens to it and it needs a case study film to accompany it, jurors won't reward it but I've got a hunch that that campaign might do quite yeah. well and Maybe. also the Whopper ad that came out last week before the election yeah we we talked about it um it was definitely more stunt than ad which is yeah. quite interesting I, yeah. I think there are a number of advertisers or 
agencies thinking about the out of home space, the outdoor space as a stunt ad because yes. it can live beyond yes. the um be live beyond the medium that it's designed for. Yeah. Can I give Dan some kudos here? So he spotted it first of all and said, Hey, this is great, let's talk about it. And then I think it was about an hour or two later, Dan went, Hold on, you can't put um HFSS uh, products on the side of a bus high food high fat sugar fat, salt, salt. I, I should know that and um, immediately got on to the people and they said yeah it was, it was a sort of cheat they it was just an old route it. master it's an L side which don't exist anymore in the, and it was, oh, wasn't driven around <laughs> but I think fair play to them they did it we talked about it and and Paul talked about it as well and I think it was uh, you know that may be job done right yeah yeah, it was great. I mean, one other thing I was going to ask before we go a bit more into detail was um, when a brief comes into the department, are out-of-home briefs as revered as they once were, do you feel? Or are they... I mean, when I was a kid, actually, still now, if I get a... For me, the most exciting brief is either a film or a poster. Do you feel there's the same respect or love around them? I don't get the impression that there is, but it seems like there are fewer of those briefs anyway. I don't, I don't know whether that's the case or not, whether it's... Do you think there's the same passion for those briefs when they do hit the agency, those kind of the, the older, more traditional formats? Is there, you know, the, are the, your younger creative team still writing out a 48-sheet poster as part of their idea? Um, I would hope so, because I think it's still... You know, if you can if you can persuade everybody involved in the process to keep it as simple and pure as possible, and not and avoid the temptation to clutter it with stuff it doesn't really need, then it should be a great opportunity to do something. I think because mm. of the purity that's required to make a good poster. Because I think the the digital piece, the the moving thing, is a completely different discipline. It's like a ten second ad, mm -hmm. isn't it, or twenty? depending on the sort of loop cycle you've bought, whereas the flat, simple fuck-off headline or visual is it is a different discipline. Because I think, <clears throat> yeah, we, we get quite a lot of briefs, which are kind of, they like, you know, the digital thing. So you're saying to a team, okay, you've got to come up with a poster, but you've got 10 seconds. It's kind of, it's sort of counterintuitive slightly, you know, so it's sort of, there is a, a skill, isn't there, in just doing the poster billboard I suppose yeah we're seeing more and more briefs coming in here that are what's called subtle motion so rather than having a full motion out of home ad if they're almost um kind of cinemagraph type things where you've still got your classic headline mm -hmm. but just the water's rippling yeah. or just a, a, a seagull flying through the sky or something you know and and that's uh, part of it is to get away from the kind of roadside in some roadside formats mm -hmm. you can't have um um, full motion video but actually it just it lends itself to the craft for the medium so they can mm. still be tactical they can still be you know a night sky or a day sky based on the time but um, you get that nice piece of animation that goes with it a little bit of steam coming off a burger yeah oh. Oh. a bit of bacon <laughs> um just on one last thing on the the great work of the year or stuff you've liked lately i feel sad that there's no um Economist posters anymore hitting people's lists of the year. So I know we're not going to talk about Economist straight away, but I do feel whenever we used to do a list or campaign would do, you know, their top tens of the year, there would always be one or two. And I think it's 
it feels a bit sad. I, I just wonder what on earth has happened. Because the economists do do a couple of things every year. Yeah. Maybe not with the same level of success that they did historically, but this year uh, one, of, one of the teams did um, a poster on a van that went oh, around, no, I love around that. Parliament Square. That was my, one of my favourites. So that was this year. Brexit thing, yeah. Brexit may, thing, yeah. going around in circles. Okay, so it's just maybe less activity rather than... I think the, the, main, uh, the main activity is more uh, direct and promotional, uh, but yeah, the economists are very good at when they spot an opportunity for uh, some kind of digital outdoor or stunt, they'll come to AMB. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, given the, the kind of political climate that we've been in for the last few months and the run-up to the election... Um, but we've led by donkeys are the ones who have kind of taken the yes, mantle exactly. on from yeah. the economists to be that we're going to disrupt this space with a challenging statement. Mm-hmm. And whether that's an old tweet from the prime minister where he's obviously backtracked or whether it's a statement, I mean, they projected on the side of the um, House of Parliament, which yeah. is familiar to you, right? Very familiar. Yeah. Um, and they've it. done the Advan thing where they go and stalk Nigel yes. Farage when yeah. he's been on the campaign trail. So th- they've kind of taken up the economist mantle and they've gone, right, okay, we'll, yeah. we'll, go, we'll use this space for, for, um, for a political... Without message. any of the approval worries. <laughs> yeah, they've done it. Well, they started, definitely started as a kind of guerrilla movement. Yeah. So. I just wish it had been more successful. That's yeah. All. Yeah, yeah, that's another podcast. That's another it? podcast. Yeah, I had to explain to the um, can jury out of home jury um, what it was because they just looking at, they were looking at a tweet on a on a billboard. So you know, obviously a room full of creative directors going no explanation. I really don't know what that's all about. Um, and I had to stop everyone and say, well, actually, mm. it's really interesting story not, for them. It didn't get anything, did it? Nothing. Not even. Yeah, that's a, it is a shame that, but I think that might be the. Its strength and its weakness, maybe. I mean, yeah. It's, I think it's a great story. Was there a case study film that went with it? No. It was, I mean, it just went into the billboards um, category, so there's yeah. no film that can go with it. It's just a picture of the billboard up. I think that's back to your point a bit, isn't it? Well, I think you're right. If you to... told the story and put those billboards in context, then mm. I think it would have done much better. Mm. Yeah. And in fact, I mean, if it if it gone into I mean, the problem is it's crowdfunded, right? So they're yeah. less interested in spending all that money on on award entries, I guess. Um, but uh, also, yeah. I guess once you embark upon a case study, you have to show results at the end of it. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, questionable yeah, what the it, results are. What does success look like for those guys? I mean, you know, it started out as a sort of one night let's just do this and they're they now i mean they've got a book i bought that book the other day and it's it just brilliant hearing it but you're going you know a bit more success a bit more they're on the tv like you said it's a shame it had, didn't have a more positive outcome but uh, i mean i wonder whether they're a year or two year or two ago they would have even imagined they would have so much publicity yeah um okay tim we're going to talk a little bit more in detail about billboards. And uh, you've done many billboards at many agencies. Um, DDB, Legs, Delaney, Simons, Palmer, BBH, Abbott, Mead uh, is a quick run through where you've worked. Um, but the, the one campaign we really want to talk about today is, I think it was at your first agency, DDB. Uh, and it was for John BM- Sorry to interrupt there. It was called BMP in those days. Ah, those Massimi Pollitt. I stand corrected, sir. BMP. 
Um, so this is a campaign for John Smith's bitter. Could you possibly, uh, first of all, just describe the work for us and then give us a little bit of background of how it came about? Well, the campaign is a series of half-finished billboards. You probably see this occasionally when you walk past a billboard that maybe half of it's fallen off or one of the sheets has fallen off. Um, there was a real example of this recently with um, Mr Blobby appearing <laughs> from, I forget what the, I think it was a BT, right? one of our accounts, I think it was a BT poster of, um, it was quite a bizarre poster in the first place, um, but it had a lady in the bath watching something on uh, TV. And this was posted on a site in Leicester. Right. Uh, and who knows why, the poster underneath it, um, or the previous poster, had Mr Blobby on it. That might have been a Tesco's poster. Uh, possibly, the yeah. Throwback. yeah. Anyway, whether the whether the the relevant sheet detached <laughs> itself of its own accord or someone it was a piece of guerrilla sheet detachment, Mr. Blobby began showing through um, and and, and, <laughs> and made this very disturbing image of a lady in a bath with Mr. Blobby waving at her. Right. <laughs> so that's evidence that the thing does happen for real. But our idea was to kind of fake it really, so to create some billboards that. Uh, half of them, one half of them was a John Smith's poster and the other half was f- for some completely unrelated product. But by putting the two things together, it made a hopefully amusing um, joke. Can, shall I read one of them off? Is that We've pinned them up behind you, or you could probably tell us. Was there one that you, was your uh, favourite? There's a very un-PC one. Well, I was about to say, they haven't aged very well. Um, I think a DIY one would work. Okay, well, let's, let's do the DIY one. Yeah, what does that say? So the DIY one, show, uh, the left-hand half of the poster shows um, a guy scratching his head and looking at a, a wall that he's about to plaster. <laughs> plaster would have been a better... <laughs> 30 years later, I thought of a better headline. <laughs> <laughs> Always thinking. Um, so the headline says, forget your DIY worries, new miracle, John Smith's, um, I can't read the bottom line. The old place will look completely different after four cans of Yorkshire's finest. So basically, one half purports to be an ad for poly filler or something, and the other half is for John Smith's, and it's a joke about drunkenness, I suppose. It's very good. I'll read the other one, because I'm normally in front of HR, most places I work, so this just won't be a surprise. Um... Make it a night she'll never forget with... So the left-hand side is a man and woman embracing, and then it says John Smith's. Uh, it says at the bottom, just watch her face light up when she finds the lads are coming round. Um, but they're, they're Different times. Yeah, different times. Different times. But they're beautifully executed. They are... Well, s- Peter Gauss, who was my art director, deserves the credit for that. Tell us more. I mean, because I was... Before we were on air, uh, Dan and I were looking at them and going, I wonder how you put them together. You know, or, or could you actually, sorry. Very quickly was the answer. Yeah. Could you back probably tell. Could you tell us, so you've described the work, could you though tell us how you got to this idea in the first place and how you sold it to the client? There's one of those terrible um, inspirational quotes, which is something like, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. I can't pretend this was preparation of any real meaningful sort, but it was 
was an idea that I that um, was kind of buried in my adolescent psyche, and uh, as ever, as as anyone who works in a creative department will know, the best time to get your work through is when the client's desperate for something to run. Right. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Luckily, uh, in this situation, there was a campaign that John Smith had bought uh, by another team. Uh, written by Dennis Willison and Julian Dyer, which was all about other famous Johns. So it was John Cleese, uh, I can't think of another John now, but basically it was uh, other kinds of John versus John Smith. Right. And it was, so it, it was quite funny and, it, and it, it worked quite well. But I think at the last minute, they decided they couldn't afford um, to pay for all these. They could, have, they could afford one or two, but they couldn't afford an entire campaign. It would have broken the budget. Because so, of the image rights for all the <coughs> yeah. Johns. So uh, at the last minute, they, you know, they'd prevaricated for a while. At the last minute, they said, look, we're going to have to pull the plug. But we still have, you know, we've booked the, the media, uh, so we need a campaign. So it was the classic. We got briefed on a Friday, and they wanted it by Monday. Mm. And um, I kind of hesitate to share this with your listeners. There won't um, be that many, don't okay. worry. <laughs> but uh, I grew up in Uxbridge, uh, and there's not much to do in Uxbridge. And to my shame, uh, when I was about 12 or 13, my friends and I used to go into Uxbridge High Street, go into WH Smith, and would occasionally shoplift things. You know, just because thrills were short on the ground in Uxbridge mm. when you're 12, and possibly now. <laughs> and one of the things I shoplifted was, I've got it here actually, because knowing that the podcast is a visual medium, I brought in some reference, but... Um, I was very into a thing called Mad Magazine, which I don't know if it still exists even, which was an American satirical magazine that did spoofs of movies and TV shows and had lots of kind of funny stuff in it. And they used to do compilation books, and one of the books that I shoplifted from WH Smith, I'm really sorry. We're going to pay them back after this. Uh, It was 30 pence, I think, which tells you how long ago it was. One of the books I shoplifted was they used to publish these compilation paperbacks of old Mad magazines from the 1960s. And uh, one of the ones I bought had this idea in it. Uh, I can't find it now. Half-finished billboards. So I should have really kept quiet and claimed that I came no, up with no. this amazing idea of half-finished billboards all by myself. But oh, uh, I didn't. It comes from about 1962 or something, I think. There's a, this article in... Um, this mad book, half finished billboards. Um, not, I mean, this is so much better than the ones we did. Not a whisper of bad breath with new Ajax, which was a, <laughs> a scouring powder. Brush, brush your teeth right down the drain. Um, oh my god, there's loads of them. Yeah, uh, dogs, dogs drinking. Oh, this is brilliant. This, this sort of. Um, oh, we're going to have to take some photos of that and put them on the uh, on the feed. This reaffirms my faith in scrapbooks and bottom drawer ideas this is a perfect example so there's one that's a well, match since you were 12 years old uh yeah not <coughs> knowing that you were going to no, be one of the most successful copywriters ever brilliant yeah, in those days you had about three books so you just read the book over was, and over again so it was all that fate. stuff did you tell sorry just to jump in so as you know keep going tell us so tell us how it happened i'm just going to read one more out which Gone. is um it's a mashup of a dog food poster and a whiskey poster <laughs> I mean, they've gone to town on this one a bit. Make your dog an eager drinker. Dogs love Calvert Reserve. <laughs> Full 86 pr- proof blended whiskey with lean red meat. 
65% grain neutral spirits to help your dog grow. Yeah, and there's oh, loads of them. Brilliant. So the other two books that you shoplifted, are we going to find all of your other ideas from the last 30 years? <laughs> um, possibly, yeah. A book full of economist ads. And yeah. But, I mean, that was more brought about by, you know, because I said it's great to have um, a brief where the client has to, make something has to buy something quickly to to fill the space but also it comes with its own terrors you know you think well we have to come up with something and uh, that just popped into my head so we actually went back to our cds who are alan tilby and paul lees with about five campaigns i think but uh, rather depressingly they liked the one that we'd stolen rather than the one yeah. the ones we'd come up with ourselves so but we'd disguised it well enough and I don't think they were readers of Mad Magazine. So and and the clients that. loved it, so they bought it. They were, I think the clients were just grateful that there was going to be something on the, on the billboards at the time. And did you... You never want to sell an idea which you can't produce. So did you have a think about how you were going to physically produce it or was it one of those sort of desperate moments? Just show them something and then we'll figure out how to do it after. Yeah, it's very much that. I think. Right, good. <laughs> <laughs> and how... How did you... So... How did you produce it then? Did you literally do... I'm, I'm, I'm hoping it's not this, but maybe it was. Did you literally do every site, like, fly-posted each site? Or did you then... Did you fly po- Did you shoot the ad and then stick it up, if you know what I mean? Did you, did you shoot it as if it had happened and then put those posters up? Or did you shoot... Did you put it up separate posters? I'm not making myself clear, am I? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, did, did every time they put these up have to put separate 48 sheets or did you shoot that no we shot the fake ads thank you so that that could have been a cleaner way of saying it. <laughs> apologies we shot <clears throat> we, we shot the fake ads but that brought sorry i'm turning away from the mic wish to look at the posters we shot the fake ads but that brought with it its own problems because the poor guys used to posting the posters this is what i'm thinking got, got very confused and a I lot bet. of them were misposted and had to be reposted oh, genius. because i love <clears throat> the craft of you've got the slight mistakes, you know, I can see you and Pete have, have made a beautiful job of making them look like what you want them to look like. Do you know what I mean? Like with the sort of creases and that they're not quite joining up exactly right. Well, that's partly Peter and partly the, 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 the few guys who did manage to post them correctly. So some of them did have to be reposted. And then... Um, Again, younger listeners won't remember, but in 1987 there was the Great Storm, which was where the weatherman Michael Fish famously said, someone's rung up and asked me if there's going to be a hurricane this evening and I can mm. assure you there won't be. And yeah. there was, and it blew down half the poster sites as well. So it was quite an ill-starred campaign. Having saved the day by yes. coming up with the campaign, it was first misposted and then quite a few of the sites blew down. But Was it... I mean, nowadays you get well, this is actually, in the old days, you go, well, let's have a non-traditional poster. Was it one of the first times where someone had sort of subverted at the poster genre in a way of... Because it's so, it's so stark, what you've got there. It looks like half a poster and then half another one, as John Smith has arrived and saved a day. I'd never seen anything like it before. Did it have quite an impact when it came out? Were people saying, how do you do it? You know, all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> no, nobody asked me that. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Maybe they were all mad magazine readers and they just thought, oh, he's beaten oh, that one. <coughs> They've beaten us to it. They, um, My favourite one is the um, enjoy the exotic taste of Yorkshire bitter because I can do the voiceover in my head with the Yorkshire accent as it's just interrupted. Um, and uh, all the way from Sunkist Tadcasters. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's very I mean, good. It, was a, it was a rush job, really. It was just what, what are the best gags you can think of written down and then can you make them work visually and can we shoot them in a week? Or whatever it was. And Do you remember the ones that got away on that response? Ah, uh, no. No. Because they are beautifully put together. I mean... Oh, you're very kind to say that, because I think they split juries. I think if you I look in... Ask, did they win a lot? They got it DNA D, right? I think if you look in DNA D, and this is not um, sour grapes in any way, but uh, DNA D in those days used to publish some of the jury comments. And if you look back at the annual that this got into, eventually, there's another story there... Um, <laughs> it's, it says uh, the John Smith posters divide the jury and one juror is, is quoted as saying they look ugly. Oh, for the love of God. Which they, which they possibly do, but that's, they kind of have, the, have to look ugly, I think. The beauty, the beauty is the ugliness, right? There's the, for me. Surely right? they're, they're ahead of their time, if you don't mind saying. Well, they're behind the time because they were stolen from, an app, from a magazine in the <laughs> 1960s. But uh, Tell me more about the DNAD. Or you not well, again, you know, I mean, to add to my my charge sheet, um, having shoplifted the book in the first place, <clears throat> we entered them for DNAD that year, and didn't get in. Really? <coughs> Excuse me. So things were a little bit more lax in those days. So without even telling <clears throat> our creative directors, we entered them ourselves the following year. Good. And they won a pencil. And rather than firing us, they said, uh, we'd better reimburse you for the, for the money you spent entering them. Brilliant. So, um, Brilliant. So they were done in 1987, but they didn't get into DNAD until 1989 because wow. they were into two years in a row, which you're not supposed to do. But What the hell? <clears throat> I'll give the pencil back. <laughs> I'm sorry. And the book. Yeah. yeah. You've got a few others. I, th- I think they're amazing. I mean, I think they still... They're really... They really stand out. I think they'd work now. I mean, obviously, the headlines might need to change slightly. I think they would. I had to do a, a talk for the department uh, last year, and I realised they could only really show one of them. Yeah, which was DIY, probably. It was the DIY one, yeah. Yeah. Did you... Sorry, this is not quite related, but I think... I was interested in you talking about Pete. So I've noticed throughout your career, it's been Tim Riley, or Tim Riley plus an art director... Is this, um, are you comfortable, do you like being more on your own or a sort of a flirtatious, um, you know, working with lots of different art directors? Is that all, because you, quite often you have teams who are, you know, X plus Y and that's how their whole career is. Yeah. Yours hasn't. Is that? No, I wish it had. Oh, I wish it Tim. had. <laughs> the search for a life partner goes on. <laughs> I don't know. I'm an old misery, I think, and I'm better... I just like to sit there and try and work it out myself. Mm. But it is... You know, I've been lucky enough to work with some great art directors, I think, so... Who are you... Lucky me. Yeah, who did you work long... Was it Pete, your longest? Pete I worked with twice. I worked with him for three years at um, BMP, as it was then, and a couple of years at AMV as well. Mm. Uh, He's about longest, but I worked with Andy Mackay, Jonah Wenley, uh, Rob Oliver... Yeah, I've been pretty lucky, really, because mm. they can make your terrible headlines 
look really good. <laughs> I'd like to ask you about that. The, just the, the craftsmanship of writing billboards. Do you, uh, yeah, you sit down to start writing. What mediums do, are you most happy in? You know, we kind of talked about, you know, that it's actually quite hard to, you know, you get briefed, oh, can you bring the headline down so it'll work on a billboard? But if you had, you know, if you had all mediums sat right in front of you, which one would you do you think you'd pick out first? As, this is why I want to start writing. I think probably like you, I'd probably pick film, particularly because these days you're, despite what we said about the the purity and discipline of of condensing a thought into eight words. These days, as you know, you can you can do a you can do a long cut of your film, so you can you can wang on for ages when you portentous voiceover and bits of dialogue and stuff. So it is nice to be able to stretch a little bit. So while it's great to to practice the craft where possible of concision, it's also nice to be able to stretch out a little bit. So yeah, I bet you always want to have both things, don't you? So it's, yeah. there's a, there's a for me, sadly, there's a great pleasure in being able to try and I'm sure we can get another word out of this. Yeah, you can reduce mm. that line to six words or five words, even or seven words when it was thirteen half an hour ago. But also, there's a pleasure in you know being able to do a ninety cut of something or a two minute cut if it'll sustain. That's quite perverse, that. reducing one, extending the other, yeah. isn't it? I mean, actually, that, that's a very nice uh, link to what we have to talk about is The Economist. Um, so you've been a writer and a creative director on that account since 1996. Is that correct? Is that when you joined? <coughs> I joined AMV in 1996, yeah. yeah. I think I was only CD at it for about two years. Okay. But uh, it did pass around quite a lot. So I was just, I'm intrigued by... What what was it like being a writer on The Economist? Was it fiercely competitive? I've heard stories of people walking around with like 40, 50 layouts being 60. <laughs> <laughs> what, were well, you one of those people? Well, uh, in those days, um, The Economist was a brief that went to the entire creative department. And AMV then, as it does now, had a very stellar department very senior department in those days, all full of people who had their DNAD pencils, in some cases black pencils. <clears throat> uh, I mean, no less competitive than it is now, but the competition was fierce. So the brief went into the department twice a year and everybody wanted to get one of their ads in the batch of 10 or 12. So maybe 20 posters ran a year. Um, and I think the first time I took a stack of work into David Abbott I counted them up, there were 70. Wow. <clears throat> and he went through them uh, very politely and went, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I've seen that one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and at the end, he went through the entire batch and, of course, being David Abbott, he'd seen every economist I'd known to man, I think. And I think he'd probably seen most of what I'd done before because they were probably just ill-judged first attempts at writing an economist poster. Because I think everyone looks at them and thinks, because they look so effortless when they've been done. You assume, or I assumed in my um, immodesty, well, I'll just knock out a few of those, it'll be easy. But um, he put me right. He said, yeah, it's a good start, I think. But, you know, I think it's probably worth carrying on. Right. Uh, and I think he was right. Did so you... I think they got better after that. I mean, would you normally put them into the 
good pile and the... I was hoping you would, but it was just one pile. One pile, right. Which you then okay. handed back to me. <laughs> uh, I remember, so a good um, lesson. Thank I remember you, working with um, Hegarty. Me and Adam went in once with a, a stack of work and he started doing this pile thing. And I was thinking, Christ, we've got a lot of good work through here. And then just at the end, he moved one to the other pile. So that was one. And he said, There's, there may be something in this. <laughs> and then we left and did some more work. But... Um, it's, 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 but it's amazing because that distillation to get to greatness and then you look at it and you go oh yeah another great economist dad brilliant but you know the the hidden what four five hundred ads that, that were probably passed through and, and was that a continual thing did it you know was it twice, so twice a year open brief to the department and David was the the final it's David, uh, David first, then Peter Souter, then Dave Dye, I think. And actually, Dave Dye, I don't know whether he still has it. When he was um, CD on The Economist, he actually produced, <clears throat> excuse me, a massive, um, it was almost like a billboard that was hung up in the creative department. And it showed, uh, it, was like a, it was like a funnel diagram. It had on it thumbnails of every single idea that had been presented to him. So it said... What the creator director sees, then beneath that, it, it had what the client sees, which is yeah. a smaller group of maybe thirty posters, and then beneath that, it had what the public sees, which was twelve posters. Wow! So it, it physically represented the vast amounts of um, dodgy puns about business and uh, strange visuals that were created that en- ended up in. We must the ask Dave for that. That's, I think he's lost it because I, I think he yeah. asked me if it was still knocking around at AMV anywhere. Dave, if you're listening, please start looking for that. Um, oh, that's amazing. I love that. Because that, that, in some way, will explain to people what, what's going into. And did the department always look forward to those two times a year, or was it, did it start to become the dread of uh, oh, well, I think if, 500 ideas? To... I, I think if the entire department's working on it, that removes the, the dread of, or the fear of failure, I think. Mm. Um, but it, I think it probably did require stamina. Yeah, there, I mean, there must be fatigue in that stuff, so there must be... Well, it's interesting that sometimes ideas that were rejected in one batch would re-emerge a couple of years later, perhaps if the CD right. had changed or circumstances had changed. And notwithstanding the fact that um, David, um, Peter, Dave, uh, Nigel and Paul were all rightly very, very tough on the work to get to the best stuff. Mm. If you timed your run to perfection, you know, if you if you held a couple back, mm. there would always come a point near the end of the process where an email or a memo, as it might have been in those days, would go around saying, we still need two more posters. Oh, yeah. Because there'd always be reasons why, you know, some of the more stellar executions couldn't be done or someone at The Economist had a reason why they wouldn't sign it off or... You know, it kind of becomes a game of chicken. Is uh, I'm going to hold this one back? Uh, yeah. Oh no, it might go in the next batch. Well, maybe not hold it back, but be prepared to to have enough stamina to okay. have another go at it. Did you? Can you remember your first one you got through? Uh, yes, I can. Was it? Can I call an economist reader? No, Chris. no, no. It was. Um, well, it, it kind of came true actually that we, you know. Being smart asses, we thought, well, how can we do something on The Economist that's never been done before? 
you know. Um, uh, and we came up with this rather lame idea because the, the posters, of course, were red. And it was something about avoid going this colour. It was about avoid embarrassment. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, we made a rookie error in that looking at the layout, we thought, well, the headline should be set really small because it, then it, it directs your eye to the, the red that surrounds the headline. And, of course, when this was posted, you couldn't read it. It was too small. Right. And, and once we reposted it with a slightly bigger headline, it just looked like the world's worst economist headline, oh, which it probably was. So, <laughs> so it was did kind, it run? It was kind of a flawed... So it ran, but it wasn't really very successful. It never made that book. It certainly didn't. No, I think it's been buried in landfill somewhere. Well, that's very honest of you to say. So can I go on to Jordan? Before you do, can I ask, do you remember your very first billboard, rather than just The Economist, do you remember your very, very first billboard? Or your first good one? No, it might have been John Smith's, actually. Oh, really? Because, as you say, billboards were always a prized, um, a prized brief. And perhaps in those days, when there wasn't the variety of disciplines open to you, that uh, in terms of hierarchy, probably after a TV brief, a poster brief was the next most coveted. So, Yeah, I wonder what that order looks like now. With, you know, we've got digital mediums, we've got advertising yeah. in our pocket, we've got it on our desktops. I wonder yeah. what the... Where is the... What's the hierarchy now? TV ad and cinema ad. The cinema version is still up there, obviously. It's still... I think so, yeah. But I, I guess it always depends what it is you can do with the medium that you've pre- been pre- presented with. That if you can subvert whatever medium it is in an interesting, relevant way, then maybe some of the less glamorous ones can, you know, could be a goldmine. Well, knows? you know, a video embedded in an email. That's one of my most recent ones. Won a direct marketing award for Yes, it. I saw that. Um, so I just very quickly wanted to go back to Jordan, uh, possibly my favourite Economist poster ever. How did that come about? Well, I, was, we had, I don't know if you have this at your workplaces, but we had uh, a secret, we have Secret Santa every year. And um, last year I got, because I'd done a Nike <laughs> ad with Michael Jordan in it, uh, and then the economist posted with Jordan. Is that, uh, Michael Jordan won Isaac Newton. Yeah, nil. Very good. Can, sorry, can you just briefly describe the economist ad, just in case um, listeners aren't aware of it? Sorry. The economist ad says something like: somebody mentions Jordan, you think of a Middle Eastern country with a three point three percent growth rate. Thank you. Um, so my secret Santa was just books about Jordan. I got Michael Jordan's autobiography. Jordan, Katie Price's autobiography and a guide to Jordan, the country. <laughs> so, um, yeah, good burn. But it must have come about by, again, were you thinking, oh, let's just subvert all of this business stuff. Jordan must have been everywhere. And you just, did you just go, fuck it, let's just stick, let's just do that little play off it? Or? Well, she wasn't noticed. I think there was a, there was a concerted attempt to try and uh, break out of what had been a very successful um, run of posters. The, the, the initial posters were all about how it was a, a business tool and helps you get ahead. <clears throat> and I think in an, in an attempt to broaden it out, there were, you know, that people made concerted efforts to think, well, what's the least likely thing you could link to The Economist and still make the right kind of point? So I suppose it was in that area. But it actually came from someone else in the department when I was CDing it. They had a, they had a line which didn't quite work. Uh, when Ariel Sharon um, was in charge, they had a line that said something like, 
it was something about it had Sharon in the headline, and it was something about no, not not the person who. So, it was confusing right. Sharon, Sharon with a with a female called Sharon, basically Sharon and Sharon. Right, right. And of course, that doesn't. That's a. It works. It didn't kind of work because no. one is Sharon and one is Sharon. So when you read it to yourself, yeah. it doesn't work. And I said to the person who wrote it, uh, "What if you made it Jordan?" Because mm. not very imaginative, but that's also in the Middle East, and it, that would work. Mm. And they said, "Nah." No, I, don't well. like I said, "No, no. I think that would be really good." Nah, no, 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 I, I prefer it like this. Oh. So I wrote it down. I'm feeling pain for this person. I wrote it down and took it to them and said, what do you think? They went, no, I don't like it. I mean, seriously. Seriously. And the rest is history. Well, it may not be history, but... Um, How did you... Sorry, so in the process then, you put it in as one of the... Well, I, was, I was a CD at the time, so I was allowed to. Okay. I was great. Abusing great. Okay. my power. But I showed it to other people and they said, yeah. Because I, that was my next thing I was going to ask you. Did you, having been a writer on it and a CD on it, did you prefer one role or the other? You know, they're kind of... Because there must be quite a lot on your shoulders, you know, having this body of work brought mm-hmm. to you and you going, right. And they're going, God, he's picked that one. Or, you know, God, I, what, what happened to Mark? You know, or do you prefer to be the guy chucking him in in a carefree manner? Uh, it was never carefree, but yes. I sorry, prefer- yes. In a very <laughs> considered prefer- yeah, Tim Riley-esque yeah, yeah, fashion, sorry. I didn't mean that. It was more like blood, sweat and tears. But yeah, I prefer to be the person trying to come up with them. Because mm. I think you're right, heavy as the head and all that, to try and, because you've got this weight of history bearing down on you. you know. And sometimes, sometimes you choose badly. I mean, um, on one occasion, uh, a team did an execution which I thought was strategically wrong. I didn't even present it to the clients. And the following year, it was done in Singapore for The Economist. I think it was The Economist as a search bar. So The Economist was rendered in kind of Google-style type. And, um, you know, my feedback to them was, well, The Economist is more than that. It's not just a, it's not just a source of information. It's, a, you know, right. it's, it's an overview. It's a, it has a point of view. But maybe I was a little bit harsh. You know, maybe the maybe the pleasure of seeing um, the Economist rendered like a Google search bar mm. trumps the fact that it's not on but strategy. That, that's so. interesting because we spoke when you were when you were being CD. I know I read somewhere that you said um, you wanted to move it on a bit, which is, is interesting because it echoed what Paul Belford said the other week when Paul kept saying, um, and he won't mind me saying this, but he thought you know, just headlines that I've read wasn't much for him to play with. So when he got to light bulb, he was like, oh, great, you know. And that was definitely a start of a move away, which I loved. I love the way that it's an amazing campaign anyway, but then you can start playing with the medium. It was always had a little kind of a wit to it and a kind of a cleverness. And that was the one about when the headline was out of green, well, I was about to say, that's yeah, the one, that was like a revelation ask. to me, that after, I think the, the campaign had been going for maybe three years or something, it was a series of beautifully written headlines, very witty, and then all of a sudden, uh, Richard Foster and John Horton did one that was reversed out of green, and it said The Economist is full of surprises. Great. Which now doesn't, maybe it's not that big leap, but at the time I remember thinking, God, that's genius. Yeah. You know, they've established something which already is kind of iconoclastic and now they're kind of tearing that up and doing something that's exactly the right 
way to behave. So I think pretty early on, Abbott Mead got to the the idea of subverting what they already had because it became a property quite quickly. Yeah. And did you then actively encourage people to, um, you know, put things on blimps, you know, um, change colours, put... There's the... Uh, the top Paul, of buses. Top that of buses, one, yeah, yeah, Paul and uh, Yeah, I don't, well, to be honest, I don't think they needed to be encouraged by that stage. I think once um, Richard and John had done the green poster, and I think in that series they did... They did a fly on the wall as well. They had a real plastic fly. They did a super site on the Cromwell Road with a fly on the wall. People kept studying the fly. I think it was a real fly. So, you know, even in... That must have been maybe the early 90s or something. They were already pushing the yeah. the medium then, I think. So, yes, the light bulb was, was amazing, but it, that wasn't the first time, no. I don't think, that people had done kind of interesting special builds. Yeah. No, it's, it's an amazing body of work. I mean... Um... I was going to say, the other interesting thing about it is if, if you... Uh, of course, everyone reveres The Economist now and always quotes management training age 42, but if you go back to uh, DNAD for that year, it didn't get in as a poster. Brilliant. It's only entries as a piece of copy. Is that right? So it didn't get a pencil. It didn't even get in the book as a poster. So I don't know what that says. But maybe very original things aren't recognised at first. No. Well, like the John Smith. Oh, well, possibly. Well, there's like BMW films that can. It was, it, it didn't have a category, did it? So, it's the followers after that. I mean, after that, then it kind of swept the board every year, I think. But it took a, it maybe took a while for it to get going. Mm. Do you? And this is a virtually impossible question, but um, of the entire Economist campaign to date, is there one? you like the most not necessarily of your own but just or is there one style or series I suppose I mean maybe the first one I don't know um, maybe this is uh, too close to home but the one I always thought was brilliant was uh, and the fact that he would just keep coming out with them um, was one that David Abbott wrote which said would you like to sit next to you at dinner which just absolutely nails why you need to read The Economist and just a re- just a really genius insight and beautifully expressed, I think. Mm. So of the written ones, mm. I think that's my favourite because that really does ask the reader a searching question. I think. Yeah. Hey, that's in all their briefs now. That's that that question is in all their briefs now. And we had one recently. They were doing some. They wanted to do some experiential work, um, and so they came to us to do some digital stuff around that. And and those examples are in there when they when they explain the brand. They mention that they say, well, you know, they use it in their brief, so that's how you know it's nailed on as a as a as a headline. John's back in the room after the squeaky door. Thanks. Yeah, he went Side outside. Yeah. He went outside <laughs> to tell everyone to shut up. But I think um, the other thing that proves is that I think by that stage, David Abbott had been writing those headlines for know, nine years or something. So the thing that working on the Economist taught you, I guess, was there was always something more you could. There were always more ideas that. After two rounds in a year, you, you quite often would think, well, I'm never going to be able to write another Economist ad again. Um, but something would always bubble up, you know, and he, even David was still writing them right up until he retired. Yeah, but I, I, the ones you shared with me the other day, the, the uh, hashtag Me Too, uh, the Women's Day... Oh, International Women's Inter- Day. Yeah. Sorry, International Women's Day. They uh, will... We should put those on the site as well. Those mm. are uh, those are great. You know, it's it's 
it's amazing that a campaign can run for so long and still be relevant. You know, it's, um, I'm trying to think as we're sitting here of another billboard campaign that has this longevity. I mean, I suppose Nike are amazing. They use billboards amazingly. Yeah, but they're kind of, they're still they're, campaign driven, aren't they? They're campaign, kind of, yeah. they have a theme. Like this is a, yeah. it's just kind of a forever campaign really, isn't it? Yeah. But then, you know, they have a product that is changing, every, that changes every week. It's current affairs. They have something that, mm-hmm. uh, they've got a point of differentiation for it, so. Um, I'm aware uh, you have a, you have some work to do today. Um, so we might have to let you go. But um, I suppose we had a couple more questions. One is, and we ask everyone this, do you have a favourite billboard of all time? I remember, this this ad never ran, but when I was at BBH, do you remember Roger and Andy? Yeah. And it just had a massive close-up of Tyson's face, like when Tyson was just everywhere and he was back and it just went, really small letters, it went, boo. (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought, and it was Sky. And Adam and I have been slaving for two weeks writing yeah. these really clever headlines, and those fuckers just went in and went, uh, there you go, John, and went, oh, yeah, that's the one. I mean, the client didn't run it, but um, I remember that. The that poison Ro- chalice that Rooney thing. one was, was famous for, where they painted him mm. yeah. with, with the, uh, the cross flag. Yeah. yeah, that was pretty amazing. And then I love the subversion online of it where he was holding Ronaldo's head yeah. um, <laughs> after Ronaldo got him sent off, which I love that because that was a kind of, a meeting of a traditional yeah. billboard meets, you know, yeah. modern culture. So I think I love things like that where they have a life on, and I suppose that's where it is now, like the Cape and stuff. Where it's just... Yeah, we talked about it the other day, didn't we? Is the there's a stat that says something like one in four billboards has been Instagrammed. Wow, really? It's an unbelievable stat on purpose, or <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I, we still haven't qualified it where it's come from, but we, it was on a, it was on one of the industry body um, stats the other day. Um, but it's because I think it's because the outdoor medium is so in your face. It's not, you know, it's when you put an ad out there in the outdoor space, it's real. It's a real thing. I think it's why some of those smaller direct to consumer brands love being in the out home space. They because they like to see their product out there. It's real now. People can trust. It, it builds that trust. Um, yeah, and I just I think that if you, you when you've got a story to tell and you've got it in the outdoor space, you can you can do something that interrupts people's viewing. And I think that there's a it, if it's if it's that disruptive, people will take a photo of it and share it with their followers. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why you get that that kind yeah, of stat. You, you wouldn't take a photo. Like the Whopper thing is a classic example. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Well, on that uh, on that tip, I've thought of an answer to your question. Okay, um, there isn't one, or there isn't a favourite, but there is a campaign that I think, when I was starting out, when I was a student, uh, really kind of inspired me and and people of uh, you know similar kind of um, age, which was uh, for London Weekend Television that Girl Greenleaf's Trot did, and I think it was actually a media campaign, but they basically ran. A different ad, different 48 sheet every week on the underground for a different program that was appearing on London Weekend Television uh, that weekend. London Weekend used to be a channel that ran, was it Friday nights to Sunday nights? So yeah. it was like a two and a half day TV channel, which seems a bit weird these days. 
And I think it was actually aimed at media buyers to say you should buy space in these programs because they're entertaining and everyone watches them. But but they made the decision that the way to convince media buyers of that was to make them rather than trade rather than a trade campaign to make it a public campaign that everyone saw, and they would absolutely pass the. Uh, the Instagram test that you mentioned earlier, Dan, that one in four posters these days are Instagrammed, those posters definitely would have been Instagrammed because they were, they were funny, uh, they were serious. There was, they were, when there was a dramatised um, uh, series about John F. Kennedy, one of them was a, was a close-up of a hand holding a bullet and it's, uh, the headline said, in 1963, a missile destroyed America. So they did serious ones. They did, uh, but it was contextual. So it was, it was the context was this is what's on the sh- yeah, this, on the this on the channel this weekend. Be That's on great. Sunday night. What was the one with the corgis in? Remember that? that was... I think that was for the Royal Command performance. That's it was right. just a TV yeah. uh, shot from behind two two corgis watching the television. Mm. Not the greatest joke in the world, but, but I, I love that campaign. The thing I was when I was at Watford College, I was shown this as an example of. Incredible billboards, and everyone at the time couldn't work out. I'm sure you know this, but so in those days, well, still sometimes now, their, their 48 sheets had to be pulled down and then stuck up again. Yeah, and they kept the colour border. Oh, that's of right. The yes, red, that's white, right, and yeah. blue. But they changed the inside yeah. bit. So we were all going, "How the hell are they doing it so quickly?" And that again, another genius. I think pre-printed. It's, yeah, yeah, pre-printed mm. trotty. And that was also the branding. It was the the the, the three colour band, and it had LWT centred at the bottom. Mm. So mm. yeah, I mean, just yeah, I'm pleased you brought that. It's a really we should definitely feature that on the uh, on the website. Yeah, one of our first um, dynamic campaigns for Digital Out of Home was for um, GMTV, and it was a campaign that went live at five pm every day to tell you who was on the sofa the next morning. Right. Uh, and it says 2010. It's just at Nike. We did the one for Nike woke up and then this one was a straight afterwards. But because they didn't know who was going to be on the sofa until 4.45. So they chose digital out of home as the thing that they could uh, get brilliant. the public message, which is obviously going back to the same thing of, yeah. of LWT. Yeah, whenever the trouble is now, whenever you... I love... That's why I love digital in a way, because it can be so live. Your, your heart always sinks when you see an ad for the Olympics and then a day after the Olympics, there's the ad for the Olympics. You think, oh, God, what, what are they doing? You know, and it... it that that is a great reason for using digital. I find. Mm. If people talk these days, uh, special agencies and their creds about you know we want to be part of culture, but that LWT campaign was definitely part of culture because people used to look forward to what's going to be next week's billboard. Mm. You know, yeah. We didn't have much to entertain ourselves in those days, I suppose. <laughs> there are only three TV channels and no internet, so maybe you know a good poster. Yeah, and, and more in those days. And, and mad magazines. And, mad <laughs> magazine. <laughs> and as I mentioned earlier with the Secret Santa thing, uh, The Economist wasn't the first time I'd done a Jordan poster. Um, when I was at Simon's Palmer uh, in the early 90s, Simon's Palmer was a tiny agency, and uh, miraculously we had the Nike account in the UK. In those days, Widens uh, in America did the main stuff, and there was no Wyden Kennedy London. It was just Simon's Palmer. And um, briefs were few and far between. We basically got the crumbs from the table. I mean, literally, three times a year, we'd get a brief for a poster or maybe a, a print ad. 
the Americans didn't understand rugby, so we got all the rugby ads we got to do because they didn't get it, and occasionally got a football one because they didn't understand soccer. Um, but one year we got a we got a brief to do uh, the new range of Air Jordans, and they literally this was pre-internet. They literally we got sent a transparency in an envelope from Portland. <laughs> I remember <laughs> opening the envelope and tipping it out, and there was a black and white shot of Michael Jordan. And, and the brief was, can you do a poster? You've got to use this image. Right. So one, anyway, one image. Yeah, one image. That was it. In some ways, life is so simple then, wasn't it? So, <laughs> so it was basically a caption writing competition. So Andy Mackay, my art director, had it hand-tinted because it was black and white. And uh, we put a headline on it, Michael Jordan won, Isaac Newton nil. Uh, and that was it. But, and the swoosh. Yeah, but... You know, back in those days, we th- you didn't know that much about Michael Jordan because he wasn't, uh, certainly in the UK, he wasn't maybe the huge cultural figure that um, that he is now. So uh, we had to do our research. And in those days, research wasn't done on the internet. We had to go out and buy American magazines that talked about Jordan. And in one of them, I found this phrase that said, because Jordan, as you know, was famous for what they called hang time, the mm. fact that he could seemingly defy gravity and one journalist in a profile piece in GQ or Esquire in America had described his game as an ongoing dialectic with Isaac Newton (laughs) I had to look at what dialectic meant but I thought that's just an interesting way of expressing what Michael Jordan does so once you'd read that you thought well okay you could compress that into five words so yeah that that's a, a development of the, you've you've developed from the mad magazine lifting to a sort of slightly more cerebral. Yeah, not not a big step, but always <laughs> just always be lifting stuff. Yeah. Really, I guess. I think the word is inspired. Inspired okay. by. That's what Adam and I used to say anyway. Inspired by. Yeah, yeah. I think it's brilliant. You, are, you what's that thing? Tony K. You said you you absorb. So you've got tips for writing good billboards for for the young creative teams. Or, or any creative teams, like the older folk like myself, I could still... I mean, you're, you're probably beyond help, you, but... <laughs> you mean writing as in the words or coming up with... Because I, I suppose they can be visual as well. Yeah, I think... Do you, do you have any sort of set ways, set tips? You know, people, I think Dave, always, Dave Dye always talks about, you know, no more than three elements or two if you have the end line on the logo. Yeah. You know, yeah do yeah. you have anything like that? I've got nothing to add, really, that to everything that's already been said about billboards. That it's you've got to be concise. Uh, you know, someone described it as a visual shout. You've just got to grab people's attention very quickly and relevantly, and you've got limited tools to do it with. Abraham Games said a poster should work on the back of a matchbox. That kind of thing. You know, it's got to be super simple. Yeah, um, or, or working. 10 or 20 seconds so I'm not going to get back into that debate I like uh, I like the shout the visual shout I think that's amazing that's a good way to maybe finish the visual shout the visual shout thanks for coming in and sharing your your visual shouts thank you very much thank you for asking me thank you yes oh wasn't that brilliant I I love that I love that story from the from the Mad Magazine, and yeah. he stole that book when he was twelve years old. Brilliant. So honest, brilliant. Yeah. I mean, that is that's great, right? That's you know, 
nothing is new. You've got to come from somewhere. Well, you're right, though. You, we talked about where creative inspiration always comes from other things. We all sit and research. Mm-hmm. You know, we go to museums. We look through books. We absorb other media. And we get ideas from from other yeah, areas. Yeah, the, cl- the clever thing is joining the dots and, and making it your yeah. own. I mean, if he had literally lifted exactly those posters and yeah that wouldn't have been so good about the dog drinking the, the brandy <laughs> uh, but in this case it's the uh the man drinking the john smith so um I, I love that i think that just makes me feel like yeah i just want to go out and absorb more uh culture yeah it's good um well great episode um obviously you can read more on our website getbehindthebillboard.com um you can follow us on twitter at getbtb or you can follow us on Instagram at Get Behind the Billboard. Very good. See you again soon. Bye.